0: Zack Brown, you must be buoyed by McLaren's recent resurgence. Well, yeah, sure. It's the result of a comprehensive reassessment of the way that we do things here at the McLaren Technical Center. Can you give me some examples of that, please? Sure. Uh, let me show you. Uh, behind this door is what used to be one of our milling rooms. Uh, it's now, as you can hear, used for virtual simulation, which gives us great data. Uh, in this room, we have our newly recalibrated wind tunnel, uh, which again gives us much more accurate data than we've had previously. And uh, this, this is, uh, we like this, this is uh, Daniel Ricardo's room. As you can hear, we've uh, created a down-under environment, which uh, really seems to have improved Daniel's confidence in the car, which, of course, shows in his most recent results. And next door, uh, this room. That's Lando Norris's room, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth, he's Tycho. Hello. And he's Zog. Hello. Zog, you're outnumbered by Joneses on this programme at the moment. I know, it's a first, it's a first. Good to see you, Tycho.
1: Yeah, it's good to be on the show, because normally I can hear what you guys are talking about and I catch up afterwards, but yesterday I was invited to come on a show. Whilst we were watching the race, and I said yes. so fine.
0: Yeah, well, it made perfect sense because so welcome. whilst you were watching the race live in your home, Zog, Tycho and I watched it together live here. And oh, Tycho, you're a big Lando Norris fan, so you must be really feeling for poor Lando today.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was definitely tough for Lando at this race. And yeah, I would say, you know, for me as well, Formula One this year has been very exciting because I took a few years off. Formula One. So yeah, being able to watch the races with you and get back into it, especially with someone like Lando, who's basically the same age as me, and uh, seeing him do really well is really exciting. Seeing McLaren do well is really exciting. But obviously, yeah, it wasn't the best result for the boy. But you know what? I feel like everyone, you know what I mean? Everyone loves him in the paddock and they give him a little bit of an extra allowance, I feel like. You know what I mean? And they give him a bit more extra comfort than some of the drivers. But He's a top driver. He's one of the best.
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, to lead that entire race bar, four or six laps, something like that, he should have won, really, Zog, shouldn't he?
2: Yeah, I mean, he did everything that he needed to do, apart from go the right way on a very, very tricky decision at the end. And, you know, it's hard to say it was the wrong decision. You know, given the information he had, you know, it was still a borderline decision. Mercedes, they had the weather call absolutely right. They said the rain was going to get worse. McLaren thought the rain wasn't going to get worse. That's what they told Lando. And, you know, when you've only got four laps left, even if the intermediates are quicker, they've got to be, you know, more than six seconds a lap quicker in order for it to be worth putting them on. And, you know, he was doing an incredible job of staying ahead of Lewis Hamilton, who is a master in the wet. Yeah, You know
1: what I think, when it comes to, yeah, I feel like Mercedes, I think I said this to you yesterday, I feel like Mercedes, they almost knew how the race was going to turn out in terms of the weather. It felt like they had a little idea of the strategy the whole time, because I remember early on in the race and they said to Bottas, oh, look, you could be fighting for like fifth place. And they were like to Lewis, you can be fighting to win this. And yeah, I feel like they just had that bit of extra confidence when it came to the final decision. Whereas, yeah, Lando, we were kind of all with him when he was staying out because it it's kind of better to stay out and kind of lose the position rather than just throw it away by pitting if the people behind him didn't pit and then the rain wasn't that bad and then, you know, he would have just thrown it away. But I
0: think Tycho's nailed it. It was a gambling situation, wasn't it? It was like, do we hope against hope or do we make a safe... Decision with the view of it playing out right, because I'm not sure. I agree with Tycho that Mercedes knew how the weather was going to play out.
1: I feel like they just had a general idea that well, a little bit more confidence than McLaren. Not, not necessarily confidence, but it's just like I feel like yeah, they just knew if things go right, they can just nick it at the end.
2: Well, I mean, you know, they didn't have a crystal ball, but they, and I'm sure they weren't the only team that were in this position. They knew that rain could come in at the end of the race and they knew it would be an opportunity for them. But then to make the call, you know, if you put your driver on the intermediates too early, you run the risk of, you know, burning the tyres out. Yeah. And if you put them on the intermediates too late, which is what McLaren did with Norris, then you have a horribly slow lap while you're on your way to the pits, to put the Inters on, you know, you're losing a lot of time there. You don't get as much benefit as you want out of them. And you end up as, in this case, ended up But Was he seventh or eighth in the end? I thought he finished
0: sixth and he got away with a no, Alonso reprimand. was sixth. Alonso was sixth. Alonso yeah. was sixth. He must have been seventh he then. He
1: overtook but- Kimi on the last lap just yeah. to get seventh, wasn't it?
2: Lando was driver of the day for sure. Mm. You could see how disappointed he was. But we know he's a potential future champion. We know he's an incredible driver. And I thought he showed a lot of character in the interviews after the race. I thought he
1: seemed very chill as well before the race. I was kind of surprised. I thought he was going to be a lot more kind of like, oh, this is my big shot. Like, this is make or break. But, you know, he did an interview about 15 minutes before the race. On the grid. Started. Yeah, and yeah. he seemed pretty chill. He wasn't there kind of like, oh, I've just got to do this. He was kind of like yeah, we've just got a run, it's going to be good, we've got a shot.
2: Yeah, he's very balanced and mature.
1: Before the race, I kind of was like, oh, it's kind of his race to lose. So I was very impressed, apart from the rain, that he probably would have won it.
2: Sure, yeah, yeah, and I think Hamilton himself said that If the race had stayed dry, he didn't think he'd have been able to take him before the end. It would have been the second McLaren win
0: in a row. I know. McLaren are definitely resurgent, aren't they? You can almost say they're there already because Lando was essentially on pole on merit because they didn't mess up during qualifying in the way that... Mercedes messed up in qualifying well it was Lewis who messed up of course who dented his front wing delaying his ability to get out and do two laps on the right tires and therefore complete so yeah McLaren are arguably already doing a better job than Mercedes that's a shock isn't it well, are they doing a better job? I mean, they've had
2: a couple of breaks. They've had a bit of a fair wind behind them, perhaps. But it's not as if they've got outrageously lucky. I mean, yeah, they've got their results through taking full advantage of the opportunities that were there for them. And yeah, they've got a much quicker car. The team is really gelling. They've got two drivers who were able to get the best out of the car now. Whereas before, it's only in the last couple of races that Ricardo has really come good in the team yep. and that's tremendous to see because you know I think we anticipated that this would be a great driver pairing in terms of personality and in terms of which two drivers would you most of it want to go out for a drink with or would you want to hang out with and just enjoy their company <laughs> it's got to be those two but but it's been disappointing that Ricardo wasn't able to he's obviously been so frustrated in the early part of the season, in not being able to get more speed out of the car and not understanding maybe why he wasn't able to get more out of it, but come together for them. And it's really contributing to, I mean, I think you were saying, Tiger, you've been enjoying this season so much and we are having a tremendous season. We're in the middle of this wonderful battle between quite probably the greatest Formula One driver ever, who is, you know, approaching the end of his career and a stellar rising talent in Verstappen the fight between those two is wonderful they're so evenly matched they've both got terrific first class teams behind them But it's not just that battle. I mean, you know, the race that we've just had, it was all about another young driver in a best-of-the-rest team. And in Monza, it was, again, you know, it was all about the McLaren resurgence, their first win for years, their first 1-2 for years. Yeah, so what a season.
1: You know what? We've spoken about Hamilton, and we've spoken about Verstappen, and we've spoken about Norris. But you know what? In that race, I would say, Sainz did a tremendous job. And, like, we're kind of sleeping on Ferrari a little bit. I don't think they've got the pace but he came third yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Third. Yeah, he third. Like, yeah he did a he did a top job like the whole weekend i would say to get that result for ferrari
2: absolutely and he, well he took the lead at the start norris was able to pass him before long but ferrari again they've had their problems recently but leclerc has been terrific this they've got year. great drivers yeah yeah very yeah.
1: likable and great drivers and i would say though that they don't necessarily have the pace but they've got a good very experienced team And yeah, they're building their way back up, I would say.
0: Yeah, they're not making mistakes, are they, at the moment? Ferrari occasionally go through a period where they make some dreadful sort of trackside blunders, don't they? And we haven't seen that for a while. So they're under good shape under Matteo Binotto. And uh, I'm happy to see that. But I've got to flag up something else which happened in the later stages of the race, which made me tear my hair out with despair and that is Vettel attempting to get past Stroll and the two of them colliding I mean no oh yeah come on that's the worst thing in the world and Vettel Again, I don't know if it's right to blame Vettel. Stroll had no idea that he was there. But why? Why didn't Stroll have any idea he was there? Why did Vettel put him in that situation? Yeah.
2: The team really should have been on the radio to both of them, making them aware. Yeah, they really should have known where the other guy was. I'm not sure that it was particularly either of the drivers' fault there, like you say. It was just a lack of awareness, lack of situational awareness. But yeah, this was one of the weekends where Aston Martin surely wanted a particularly good result they wanted to have a particularly good showing with release the new bond film coming up so they're doing all of their sticking vettel in a db5 to do some hooning around the track and get all that stuff on tv which we want to see and yeah you don't want to have your two drivers clattering into each other and then both finishing out of the points at a circuit where you might expect to be going reasonably well Yeah, very disappointing. Particularly as, actually, Stroll had a pretty decent first part of the race. Stroll has his ups and downs, but this was one of the races where he had a good first part of the race.
0: Do we say exactly the same here? I've been ragging on Stroll for a while now, but Tycho turned to me yesterday and said, actually... He's not bad, really, Stroll. I mean, he really is a much better driver now than he was a couple of years ago. And he can hold his own against Vettel, to be fair. We, so
1: love, he, to we yeah. love to hate on him. We love to hate on him. You've got to have someone yeah, to hate. Him. Yeah, you've got to have someone. But the yeah, only no, reason we hate job.
0: him is that his dad owns the team, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fair, is it? <laughs> It's like
1: having you on this programme, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe, like, the synergy between Vettel and Stroll just ain't. Perfect. You know, with the dad owning the team and Vettel having a bit of kind of pressure from, you know, having all this experience and, you know, it's just who's the top dog in the team. I don't think they're really super gelling like, you know, you put Norris and Ricardo or Norris and Sainz. You can tell there's a friendly, healthy energy there. Yeah. And I don't really know how that's going to work between Stroll, who's like some young kind of rich boy and then... Vettel, he's experienced, you know. Do you know what I mean? It's just two different vibes. I can't imagine what it's like.
2: Vettel doesn't have anything to prove. He's won the championships. He's got all the experience. I've got to say, I like the way that Vettel is approaching things at the moment. He's got a nice, very measured kind of approach to things. He doesn't let much rattle him. He doesn't get too heated about things and blow things out of proportion. He's taking everything in his stride. He's delivering good performances and I'm sure giving a lot back to the team in terms of the kind of feedback that only an experienced driver can really give
0: you. He's always been quite technical, Vettel. I mean, if you work with Adrian Newey, you've got to be technical. You've got to understand his often complex cars. So he will have a good database of being able to develop complicated cars or certainly develop cars. And that's got to be valuable to Aston Martin, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. One other thing I was wanted to ask both of you guys was what did you guys think of Paul de Resta on the commentary because Martin Brundle wasn't there yesterday
2: as far as commentary goes I thought Paul de Resta was absolutely fine he's no Martin Brundle who is an exceptional racer turned commentator my problem with the Sky commentary I mean you know Paul de Resta is always going to look pretty good from my point of view on the commentary because i really don't like david croft's commentary all that much i'm afraid
1: oh you're a crofty hater
2: (laughs) i am a little bit yeah too many little things (laughs) he does in commentary that really wind me up it seems like he commentates a little bit too much like he's commentating for a classroom full of seven-year-olds and also he always gets numbers wrong when he's rounding numbers he always cuts off the later Numbers in terms of handling decimal places... He rounds down rather than up. He never correctly rounds up a number. So if somebody's done a 123.999... Yeah,
0: he'll call it a 123 and it's actually a 124. That, yeah,
2: he'd call it a 123 rather than
0: a 24. Yeah. Um, or, you know. I can see why that would annoy you, Zoggy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, well, it, I it,
1: wouldn't it, it, pick up on that, <laughs> that personally. I'm not a guy. I would.
0: Your brother Indy would. But yeah. the, the thing that Tycho and I were laughing about is the consistent way in which Paul de Resta pronounces the word Mercedes. It's full Sean Connery. It's not Mercedes to him. It's Mercedes shady, beautiful, but my biggest bugbear at the moment in terms of pronunciation in Formula One is that no one says Perez's name correctly. his name is not Sergio, it's Sergio, it's not Sergio, it's Sergio Perez. Actually, I'm going to write to Crofty, and I'm going to write to Ted, and I'm going to tell him this. It's about time we got that right, isn't it?
1: And they say Perez, and I believe it's Perez.
0: Perez, yeah. Sergio Perez. Perez. I've got to admit, you know, I did not know it was Sergio, but I'm going to try and get that right.
1: You might pronounce the G like an H, like Sergio. Sergio,
0: Sergio. soften it. But well, but when I looked into it, to Spanish pronunciation yeah. of the name Sergio, it pronounced the G hard. So, yeah. hey, I could be wrong, but I, I'm not sure I am. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps a native speaker can put us right on this. Please do. And let us know
2: what the correct pronunciation
0: is. So, yeah, if you are listening to this programme and you were born and bred speaking Spanish, please tell us whether it is Sergio or Sergio or Sergio or Sergio. I'm pretty sure it's Sergio, but I'd, I'd like to hear it from someone who knows Defo. OK, a couple of things before we wrap this up on the subject of Formula One. Tycho said something absolutely Cracking about Mick Schumacher. When I spotted that Mick Schumacher was wearing his father's helmet for this race, his father's original white helmet with the yellow, red and black on it, you know, not this more contemporary version of his father's helmet, but his dad's original helmet. Tycho, how did you describe Mick Schumacher?
1: Well, I said at this point, Mick Schumacher is a little bit like a Michael Schumacher tribute act. Because <laughs> like, you know, cause I feel like everyone's living their love of Michael Schumacher through him. Yeah. And, you know, he looks very similar. And the name is like a little bit of a spin off. <laughs> so at this point, he's a bit of a Michael Schumacher tribute act. We'll see if he follows in his footsteps of his father, the big shoes to fill. And, yeah. You know, also what kind of led me to say that was as well, he's in Haas right now. And I think for him, the car will be very important to his career success, of course. And so, yeah, we'll just have to see if we can get in a good car. And there's a lot of great drivers out there. And he will get a good amount of time and support in F1 through his father's name. And he is a super talented driver, of course. Didn't He, he won, F2. won F2. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we've got to see how that kind of turns out, you know, will he go to Ferrari once maybe Leclerc or Science maybe heads back to McLaren? Who knows? We, you never know. What, it, that's a good happen. point, actually. What are
0: the conditions that would allow Mick to go to Ferrari? And the only possibility I can see is that Leclerc or Science are poached from Ferrari. They're not going to let either of those two go, are they? Well, Mick needs to prove himself a bit more. You know, he's
2: certainly looking competent in that task. It's an awful car. Yeah. <laughs> he needs some better machinery to show what he can do. And he needs a bit more experience. He's clearly not the prodigious talent that his father was. But who is? Yeah, Like you said, they're big shoes to step into. They're very high expectations to measure up to. And it's kind of unfair to measure him by those standards. Yeah, he's making a solid start, but... Let's see how he goes next year and how he's looking at the end of this season. And let's hope he gets uh, a chance in a better machine. Yeah, simple as that.
0: One final thing before we move on. And that is, again, something that Tycho noted during the coverage. And that is finally how smiley and relaxed Lewis was at the end of this race, which is probably the first time in I don't know how many races we've seen him that relaxed.
1: He seemed very happy in the post-race interviews. And I think, yeah, for him, it was probably a big weight of his chest to be able to get that 100th victory because the last victory he had was the British Grand Prix. And yeah, for Mercedes, I feel like they've managed to keep their composure over the last few races and they've gotten a bit unlucky. And I feel like this one kind of reassured them they're back on winning form. And they didn't even really seem to care too much. He was very congratulative of um, Verstappen. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. I feel yeah. like the Lando one was necessary because otherwise he seems like a... Bit of a dick, <laughs> you know, <if> he, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, 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 If yeah. he if he isn't like yeah. you know giving props to Lewis, yeah. but with Verstappen, where he doesn't really owe anything, he, he still after the race was saying, you know, how did he do that? Amazing. He must have done an amazing job, which isn't very mm. much like Lewis because obviously you know he wants to win there's, more than anything. There's needle there, isn't there? Yeah,
0: interesting. Hey, right, listen, Tycho, thank you very much for joining us. How fantastic to have you on the programme. We'll say goodbye to Tycho now. Cheers, Tycho. But Zog, you stick around. And after this short break, we'll return with Alex Goy to talk about road cars. Romain Grouse Jane, you've had a sensational first season in IndyCar. Congratulations, son. Uh, thank you. Clearly, you've adapted well to IndyCar. Now all you need is a catchphrase. You know, the kind of thing we have here in U.S. Autosport. Uh, yes, I know. Uh, Chip Canessi has I Like Winners. Uh, Alex Palou has... Send it. <laughs> and so, have you come up with a catchphrase for yourself? Yes, I have. It is... And what does that translate to in American? Uh, chic and beak. I'm pretty sure that one's already taken. Okay, how about, uh, Le homme magique? The what now? The magic man. I'm darn sure that's in the same movie. Okay, how about, uh, Je suis un feu"? What does that mean? I'm on fire? Romain, have you seen the ballad of Ricky Bobby? Who is Ricky Bobby? Dear Lord, baby Jesus. You're a Joining us right now on Gareth Jones on Speed from his, as she will explain, slightly noisy home in <laughs> South London. Alex, you've got a sound issue today, haven't you? Hi,
3: I have. The sound issue, well, one, my laptop fan's going overdrive because I was exporting pictures earlier and it hasn't quite recovered. But the other issue is I live the opposite of petrol station. And if you've been anywhere near social media or the news or basically spoken to anybody all you'll hear is oh have you heard about the petrol the petrol's running out so obviously living opposite said petrol station yeah (sighs) on friday i left the house about midday to go and visit a friend and the forecourt was full there wasn't a queue the forecourt was full and then i got a lift back home with a friend of mine and every petrol station we passed on friday night had a massive queue outside of it because everyone was worrying Yep. And by the time I got to the one opposite me, all the pumps were shut. They were all dead. Anyway, this morning, well, last night even, I got back from Worcestershire, which I'll explain a bit later. There was a queue down the road and I was like, oh, good Lord. And it just, it hasn't stopped. The road I live on, I won't name the road I live on because people might be able to find where I live, but Uh it's kind of a main trunk road out of London. You kind of start here and if you keep going, you'll end up on the M4. And it means that that road is blocked, basically, by people trying to get to the petrol station from either side of the road.
0: Okay, let's have 15 seconds of absolute silence just to see if we can hear the sound of people fighting or horns blowing or engines ticking over. You'll probably get my laptop fan more than that, I'm afraid. Okay, give it 10 seconds. Here we go. Hang on. didn't hear anyone getting stabbed
2: there was a little horn there was a tiny horn yeah we've got to go with a little period of calm
0: okay let's talk quickly before the engines for it all kicks off basically
3: it's been a day of low-level engine noise and occasional buses not getting past going "Ah, ah, ah," just noise more noise than normal it's been excruciating now i have a small problem in that I have on my drive at the moment. I can't talk about it because I haven't driven it yet, but I have a Renault Clio V six to film. Ooh. Now this car requires two things fuel yes. in quite vast quantities I'll and bet. dry days. And tomorrow when I'm filming, it is not going to be dry and I need petrol. So I'm <sighs> filming in the new forest, which is a thousand miles away from here. Oh, okay. Oh, good luck with that. And have you
0: got any fuel in either of your two cars, which are parked downstairs at the moment? Are you able to siphon it out? The practical car, the
3: Aston, that's full. I filled that up on the way home from a shoot on Thursday and haven't touched it since.
0: Panic buyer. The, the what, sorry? <laughs> Panic buyer. Panic
3: buyer. Well, I, no, I was on half a tank, because I, I was filming for two days. It's incredibly banal, very sorry. I was filming for two days up in Reading, and I was on, like, just under half a tank, and I thought, like, ah, sod it, I can do that. It's like 40 miles. So I got there, I think, I could fill up on the way home, can't be bothered. Drove home and then I was on about a quarter of a tank and I was like, I can definitely get there, that's easy, but I should probably get some petrol. And I hadn't realised why it had been so hard to find it. Because there was a BP station and an SO station near where we were filming, and the SO one was on the way home, and I pulled in and they were empty. I was like, oh, this is weird. And then there was another one that was empty, and I finally like brimmed it and it was fine. And then, yeah, the next morning the world was running out of petrol. It's very silly. Yeah, there hasn't been much keep calm and carrying on, has there? No, but we should have learnt this from all the toilet paper and the
0: pasta. Yeah. 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 You should never try and run your car on toilet paper or pasta. I've discovered <laughs> yeah, that. Bad yeah, idea. doesn't work. Now, you've been driving, haven't you, with a bunch of well dressed men or something? What, what is this? Explain what this <laughs> is. I got some garbled message that I didn't quite follow. What is it you've been doing?
3: Darling, I always drive with well-dressed men. (laughs) Um, Some of you may be familiar with the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. It's a motorcycle rally. It runs on a day every year, but it happens all over the world, not simultaneously, but on the same day. So it starts in Australia, and then it kind of cascades around the planet. The idea is you dress up in your sort of good revival finery so you look all a bit posh and a bit spiffy dapper is the phrase they use you look you look a bit or tweed yeah but a lot of tweed goes on three-piece suits that kind of thing goggles and open face helmets and all stuff like that and you get people to sponsor you to raise money for Movember that's the idea now I've never been able to take part in it obviously because while I can ride a motorbike I choose not to because my right knee aches when it's cold because of one and this year, they brought out the Distinguished Gentleman's Drive. It's a motorcycle thing first, Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, the DGR, they call it. And it's been going for the thick end of a decade, maybe over a decade now. OK,
0: I've missed this entire thing somehow. Well, no, if you're
3: not into motorbikes, then it probably wouldn't have gotten you. And then if you're not into kind of cafe racery, triumph kind of artisan motorbikes, then it definitely would have passed you by. So it, right. it's... Unless you live in a very specific bit of London and you're there on that day and you see like 50, 60, 70 people all dressed a bit Goodwood Revivaly riding past you, it's no surprise you wouldn't have known what it is. Yeah. But yeah, they're doing a drive, which is great. So yesterday now, so was it the 26th, September the 26th, started off in Australia and lots of well-dressed men got in cars well for men and women but it's mostly the focus is mostly men because it, it raises money to support movember there are a few in the uk i did the one from Mulvern from the morgan factory because my mate rich from motorpunk organized it and also my car was there because it spent some time up there and it was a really really lovely day the idea is it's pre-80s cars unless you've got something morganish or continuation so someone turned up in an xkss that jag remade no one would tell you off. right Um, That kind of thing. So if it looks the part, you're allowed. We had some trouble because of the fuel thing, because the older cars tend to be a little bit thirsty. So, some people were like, I oh, can't do it, just can't get there. So, we had, uh, we, had, we had a decent turnout. We had a smattering of 911s, and 912, an old drop top Merck SL280 automatic. There was a oh. Skoda Estelle.
0: Oh, nice.
3: Just snuck that one in there. An old 3 Series, an MGB. There was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of very cool stuff, and I can't quite remember it all. And, of course, me and my three wheeler, because they let me join in. And it was, you know, it was a really lovely kind of community day because it was people celebrating what they have and raising a bit of money I think our little drive raised about three grand wow which you know considering how many people were there and it's the first year so people don't really know what it is or what it's all about and globally it's raised lord knows how much but they were all over the UK it was a really lovely day there will be eventually a film on Carfection about it that I had nothing to do with until I was told you have something to do with it so (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely in it in front of the camera, tarting around in a purple Morgan wearing tweed and a bow tie. Now, a moment of personal pride here. I don't wear bow ties ever. I used to have to wear them once a year for an awards do and I used to have to teach myself in a hotel mirror with yep. a YouTube video. Yeah. After four or five years without yep. doing it, it took me two tries. I Very good. From memory now. Well, yes. as Matt Smith would say, bow ties are cool ties are cool. The whole event
2: looked like it was going to be a lot of fun. I'm glad to hear it went well. And also, well done to all of you for raising a bit of money for charity. And on which note, I did come across a little snippet recently about charity fundraiser events. Yeah. And we should just give credit to this event for actually raising some money for charity. Yeah. Because it turns out that parachute jumps for charity to raise money for the NHS are not actually a very cost-effective way of raising money for the NHS. Why? How? Turns out that when you crunch the numbers, the cost to the NHS in injuries from charity parachute jumps considerably exceeds the amount of money that is raised by charity jumps for the NHS. Fantastic. Because, as you can imagine, a lot of the people do charity parachute jumps... A first-time parachute jumpers, who are more likely to have accidents. And I think also a parachute jump is probably a relatively expensive thing to do in the first place. It's not like a sponsored walk, which doesn't cost anybody anything. Yeah. So, yes, if you're going to do a charity thing, make sure it's going to work out for whoever you're raising the money
3: for. My lovely mob, we managed to get just under 300 quid. All of that goes straight to the Distinguished Gentleman's Drive. I've not seen any of it, but it seems to have raised lots of money and the, the whole movement is really cool. I'm always big on anything to do with men's mental health, so... I'm just happy it exists and I can help.
0: Backtracking for a moment. Shall to go back to some of the cars that you talked about? Yeah. In that fleet. Two that got my attention were the Porsche 912. Yeah. And the Skoda Estelle. I am so chuffed that the Estelle is now considered a kind of a cool retro car Because it was one of the last, uh, curiously, along with the Porsche 911, the last of the rear-engine cars that you could buy in in, in that period. (laughs) Yeah. So did you have a Rapid a long time ago, if I remember? A Rapid, rather. Uh,
2: No, a friend did, and we did a couple of road trips in it, and Mm. it was fantastic. Robust. Kind of basic, but robust. It struggled up some very difficult, quite slippery, icy mountain roads when much more modern and superficially off-road capable vehicles were struggling
0: nicely put that absolutely sold me
2: on skodas i'm a big fan so yeah i'm glad to hear there was nistella on that little ride and
0: the other car type that you mentioned alex in your list there were continuation cars which i choose as a deliberate link towards the cars that i want you to tell me about right now
3: Ah, right, yes. Well, it's the continuation thing. If it looked like it belonged on the drive, it could have done. But what you're talking about is what I spent two lovely days doing last week. So being the very lucky Jammy Sod that I am, I was doing a couple of films for Carfection on a company called GTO Engineering. But not specifically on the company, but some of the cars that they kind of create. So GTO Engineering's jam is maintaining, restoring rebuilding ferraris
0: right classic modern they can hack it at a billionth of the price of modena themselves i would imagine yeah you know what i didn't ask because i'm scared yeah
2: <laughs> i'm scared to know if you need to ask you can't afford it
0: yeah I walked into their workshop and
3: there was 250s here there was a i think it was a 612 or a 575 on ramps and oh. you know it, it's all there right but what gto engineering does is it builds revival cars which are what a gto engineering revival Essentially, it uses a Ferrari chassis from a car that has been so knackered over its life, fire theft or damage, whatever, that it's not really worth restoring it or kind of trying to conquer it, if that makes sense. So they take this chassis, but because getting hold of bits for old Ferraris is difficult, GTO's other side hustle, other thing, is recreating and building bits so they can build you a Ferrari V12. To the exact original spec, but with modern tech.
0: And they're allowed to do this? Ferrari yeah. allow them to do this, do they? That's interesting.
3: Mm-hmm. So, because it's classic stuff, they know how to, it's, it's building bits and sticking it together, that's, you know, it's, it's all good. I didn't ask them too much about the legality of it, but so far, you know, I, I asked ages ago, and it was like, well, you know, we haven't had a phone call yet, so we're all right. Yeah, yeah. So, what they do is they take these kind of knackered Ferrari chassis and build them into revival cars. Now, currently, they build three revival cars. They do a 250 Testarossa. Oh, hello. Legendary racer, Mm-hmm. 250 short wheelbase, which is oh. just, yeah. And the most recent one, which was revealed at Goodwood Revival, is the California Spider. Oh. As in the Ferrari California, the Ferris Bueller car, 106 made in long and short wheelbase. But essentially, what they are is it's just magic. You get in it, and everything looks like it's... From Modena in the 50s and 60s you know the dials are correct the seating layout's correct because it's all built to this original plan it's a faithful recreation of what was once there and it's on an older Ferrari chassis so the reg is all old school so it still counts and arguably better built than the original perhaps well when you think about so the parts are recreations they're built as the original ones would have looked but they're built to modern tolerances yeah
2: yeah well, if you've got modern equipment, modern CAD tools and modern mm. milling and engineering equipment, and you've also got the in-house expertise of GT yeah. engineering, you can build these things to a very, very high standard, which in some cases, yeah, yeah could be better than the original the yeah. the tolerances that you're going to be making things to i mean if they're making a new in inverted commas. Ferrari engine, you know, however many original bits are in it. Yeah. yeah. If you want to, you can do a better job than the original.
3: Yeah, what they do is absolutely magic. The cars, they look beautiful. Like The bodies are kind of hand-rolled aluminium, or I think it's aluminium, hand-rolled, on English wheels and things like that to make everything all special and beautiful and wonderful. So it looks bob-on. Like, you look at their 250 short wheelbase and you go, Mm. that is a 250 short wheelbase. I mean, it isn't, but it is. And then you look at the California Spider and it's like, well, that's... Bang on, that's what that is. That's the... There is Buda car. And it's genuinely brilliant, but there is no concession to modernity. So you can't have CarPlay in it. You can have air conditioning in the 250 short wheelbase, which I would advise you get because it's just a glass house. I was 22 degrees when I was driving it, and I was just dissolving. It was globs of sweat and disgustingness falling off me. You can have a USB charge port put in, so you can charge your phone as you go. But Heretic! You can't (laughs) attach it. Well, bear in mind, I did the millimilia in a C-type and that had a USB port fitted to it so you could charge your phone as you went. So it's what's possible with the technology that's there. A sympathetic modification. But, you know, there's no easy gearbox. There's no... Easy this, there's no easy that. Like, it's all... It's the real deal, as
2: much as it can be, yeah. It
3: is the real deal in, like, every conceivable way. It's the most bizarre thing, because you step back in time, and I'm driving this car. Why am I driving? I don't understand.
0: You know, when they do... What do they call it? Experimental archaeology, where historians build a siege machine of the type that would have been used 400 years ago, and they, they tend to build it using tools that were available... in that day to see how it would have worked and what was achievable using the materials Mm. that they had. In some ways, these vehicles are a bit like that, except they're using modern machine tools to make them happen. And it is a form of experimental automotive archaeology, you could say, because these are Mm. essentially, they're starting from a VIN number. That's all they're really saving from these cars, isn't it? The only bit of the chassis that could be reprinted, the VIN number. Well, no, they're starting with 250 chassis, aren't
3: they? There are donor cars. Underneath the 250 Spider I drove was a 250 GTE that had had a life. Oh, uh, OK. Last year, I drove a 250 short wheelbase. It was a 330, I think, underneath there. Oh. So it's all cars of the right era, but just turned into something a little different. Yeah. They're not trashing a California Spider to make another California Spider because there aren't as many of those. But there were cases where I think Ferrari just built lots so if yeah. a few fall by the wayside, the world won't end. They're
2: trashing a run of the mill regular two fifty, not one of those yeah. <laughs> you know, thirty six of only the only mill built
0: 250. regular two fifty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, a universe where any two fifty could be described as regular or run of yeah. the mill means that we've got warp sensibilities, doesn't it? Nice problem to have. I'll tell you what, they've got this hand built to modern
3: tolerances V twelve under the hood. You can have it three, three and a half or four litres. Both of the cars I drove had a three and a half litre with 320 horsepower, 0-60 in five, six-ish seconds, 150 top speed. You don't need more power than that. And yeah. You don't need to go faster than that when a car like that has presence.
2: Mm.
0: yeah,
3: I now get why Golf R's are tuned to a 1,000 horsepower and go really quickly because it's just this sort of amorphous blob driving down the road. But when you're in a GTO engineering revival car or a legit, ferrari 250 you're making big v12 noise you look like that yeah you can put your foot down it'll bound up the road but it won't break the sound barrier because what's the point especially with the spider because the spider is designed to be seen you need to be there you're part exactly. of the experience exactly you You want people to get a good look at you as you waft on mm. by
2: It's an
0: automotive design statement rather than just a car, isn't it?
3: Absolutely. It's
2: some of the high points. It's a high point of 20th century car culture Mm -hmm. that petrol heads want to revisit and have a taste of. And if you're lucky enough to be able to experience it as a reviewer or as a wealthy individual who actually gets to buy one, you know, then you're a lucky bunny.
0: Yeah. That's my next question, Zog, or rather Alex. How wealthy a car enthusiast do you need to be to buy these? Do you know what these things cost? I do. So it's not going to be your only car.
3: Probably won't be even your 10th car. Uh, so these <laughs> retail between 750000 and £850,000, depending on your spec, depending on what you want to do with it. And then yep. after that, you've got all taxes and all things like that. So they aren't cheap. It was a very expensive week. I'm very glad I didn't put any of them into a hedge. But... (laughs) Um, But the thing is, like, you get in it and it's like driving a beautifully put-together classic car. Yeah. Mm. So you can have the California Spider, you can have the legit Spider on a plinth in your garage but to actually use that thing is ridiculous because the moment you put a mile on it you've lost value if someone crunches it you're knackered if anything happens to it it's such a fragile rarefied thing whereas you can ring up gto Engineering and go can i have something that looks like the car i have for less than a tenth of the price and they'll go
0: yeah uh, exactly tenth of yeah, the price didn't, yeah. didn't a daytona 250 sell for seven million recently uh, so I, I can find hang on let me do a quick internet
3: because uh, I remember California uh, uh, California Spider price. So a California Spider recently went for... Au- so 250 GT short wheelbase... Oh, no, sorry, I'm just reading the Googles. James Coburn's Ferrari 250 GT California Spider is up for auction. And that went for... Teen millions, I believe.
0: Teen millions, OK.
3: Teen millions. I wonder
0: so how much do. the
3: James Coburn... Provenance?
2: Does that bump it up much? It's probably not probably. Quite the same as a the Paul Newman owned Rolex yeah. Daytona. Yeah. Well, you know, any vintage Rolex Daytona is going to be expensive,
0: but the Paul Newman one is going to be astronomical. And do GTO Engineering yeah. only do Ferrari GTOs? For instance, if I turned up there and said I want a Mitsubishi three thousand GTO, can Sadly you? Sadly, not. No, oh,
3: what a shame. Mark Lyon, that the chap that runs the company, is a really lovely bloke. He always worked on Ferraris. He built them. Kind of that was his business from being a youth. And he separated off from his former employer and did bits, like specific bits of Ferraris. And then as his business grew, he started doing whole Ferraris. And now it's this massive thing. So he's only Ferraris. You can't rock up with a Mitsubishi <laughs> TCO and be like, yeah, can you do that? It's like 197 horsepower front-wheel drive. No, sorry, we don't have the tooling.
2: There's probably some specialist in japan who yeah do exactly what you want there garrett
3: yeah i mean the thing is like what's happening now is there's going to be a kind of recreation or resto mod or revival market for everything yeah mm. it just depends on how old you are now and how old the car you love is so say you look at the guys at david brown they'll do you the speedback gt which is next KR convertible made to look kind of like a db5 ish
0: yeah as if you've got right like, bad vision perhaps yeah, yeah. and then they'll yeah. do
3: you the mini which is, which you know, is great. It's the car that david brown and his mates used to razz around in way back when yeah but now you know it's comfortable and it's got aircon and it's got carplay so you can have the mini that won't break down and you'll Ooh. have all the fun in the world with it um, and so you've got the mini guys and then you've got obviously porsche huge resto mod scene there you know, Singer is obviously the big one, Yeah, but you have, I've driven a few myself. Uh, the there are people Stevens who do Lancers as well now, they of course. Yep, yep. Lancer boys, like, it's all
2: going to happen depending on who you are and what you want. There's that Volvo p 1800s Cyan, that would be the one I'd go for, to be honest. I would love, love that.
0: I think we've just answered the question I was going to ask us all three to answer before we wrap this program up is that if you could have a resto mod, what would it be? Zoggy, so it would be your P1800, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would be that P1800 Cyan.
2: Th- that said, I'm, I'm not sure I'd turn my nose up at the GTO Engineering. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. The SWB. <laughs> you, 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 the tri-
3: you, you won't. The, the
0: engine noise is
3: simply <laughs> incredible. They're beautiful to look at. They're beautiful to drive. They're beautiful just to be around. Everything is... Stitch, inch, perfect. Ah, it's just Mm. glorious. However, my Resto mod of choice, and it's quite cheating, but it's the Aston Martin DB5 Goldfinger continuation
0: car, of because course. mine
3: comes with a smoke screen. Yes, and it also <laughs> comes with uh,
0: machine guns with the authentic sound that they yep. sampled from the movie, as I understand, of a Browning. Yep. Yeah, I wrote an article about it for DAF Magazine. I know you've driven the car as well, I Alex. drove it, it was great. Yeah. Well, the,
3: uh, if you want a really cool thing... When is this going out, Gareth? What's the date um, it's going uh, The
0: Thursday, which is, what, the uh, 30th? Yeah. The, that's the
3: 30th is Thursday. So you will have missed... By one day aston martin did a thing where they put a giant corgi db5 down by battersea power station and the car in the box Saw the pictures is yeah. the continuation db5 and it's the prototype it's the only road legal oh, oh and now yeah. it's gone i can tell you how much it's worth which is <laughs> three and a bit million quid
0: yes so,
3: wow. three million quid in a box by the river yes yes oh,
0: Yes, the most expensive new car ever, or something like that. There was some deal about it because if you bought a Zagato Aston Martin, wasn't it? They threw another yeah, car that, in. That, that was
3: the twin. So it was the DB4, DB4 Zagato. That was and it. Something else. You would get one. You, yeah. The most expensive new, Actually, the most expensive production new car, because the the DB5 is technically a continuation, is the Rimac Nevera.
0: Ah, which you've
3: driven, you big show I've driven because I'm that kind of guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> modest as well, obviously. <laughs> That's it. You've been listening to The Modest, Alex Goy. Bye. To the dreaming of owning a Volvo P1800 Cyan Zog. Goodbye. Earlier on in the show was my glorious son Tycho and I was Gareth. See you for the next On Speed here in two weeks in your ears. Bye. Say bye, everyone. Bye. Bye,
3: with some horns in the background. Thank you, petrol.
1: To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by WizBang. Gareth Jones on Speed! Speed!